This episode of Tech News Day is sponsored by HelloFresh and by Omaha Steaks. This past year has provided a nonstop supply of dumb news related to cryptocurrency, NFTs, and just in general, the blockchain. But back in September, there was a rare crypto story that could be appreciated by both haters and lovers of cryptocurrency alike. Mr. Gox. Mr. Gox. The crypto trading hamster. Oh, you mean Nancy Pelosi's husband? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Pelosi, a.k.a. Mr. No. Two different things. But uh, Mr. Yeah. Gox's hamster cage it was adorable. It was decorated to look like a little tiny office, complete with a trading desk, a fake skyscraper view, and uh, some wall decorations, including a big, or I guess <laughs> tiny, Tesla logo. Unlike your typical finance bro's office, though, Mr. Gox's office included more typical hamster amenities like a hamster wheel and some tunnels to go through. But Mr. Gox's hamster wheel would select from a number of different cryptocurrencies and going through one tunnel would trigger a purchase of that cryptocurrency while the other tunnel would trigger a sale. Real money was on the line here. And what's even crazier is that as of September, at least, Mr. Gox's investing strategy was performing better than Bitcoin, the NASDAQ 100, the S&P 500, and even Warren Buffett. Well, guys, uh, it brings us no pleasure to report that Mr. Gox, the crypto trading hamster, is dead. And look, before you put on your tinfoil and start asking who had Mr. Gox killed for knowing too much, it's important to note that a typical hamster lifespan is around two years. So, you really only get them to teach your kids about death without having to actually sit them down and yeah, explain death like to A them. fish or hamster is a yeah. really good starter animal. Yeah. Before the dog. Mm -hmm. uh, it's unclear how old Mr. Gox was, but two years, it's not a long time, especially no. if you're learning to trade crypto. Yeah. yeah. It's very stressful. Yeah. You, he, he only lived through like one downturn. Yeah. The, the, the finance guys, they love to show you the bright side of their life, mm -hmm. the expensive cars, the, the big apartments, the jet setting the parties, mm -hmm. but they don't show you the other part of their life where uh, at any given point in any week, there are multiple times where they want to maybe jump out the window because yeah. they're about to lose everything. The thing is, the data is so new on crypto traders that Mr. Gox's death is actually a significant point uh, that proves that the average lifespan of a crypto trader is now somewhere between <laughs> one and two years. Yeah, we don't. The sample size is small, but yeah, yeah. he once, has skewed the results. Once you start trading crypto, you will, according to the statistics, die within just a few months. That's how so, stressful it is. Yeah. Mr. Gox died because of the stress. <laughs> he, he made it all the way to the top, beat Warren Buffett, but flew too close to the sun. Yeah. But uh, here's the official announcement from Mr. Gox's Twitter account. We feared this day like no other and are truly shocked for it to happen just now. In deep sorrow, we have to announce the loss of our beloved furry friend. Being with us as a pet for quite a while, he became famous out of nowhere. Mr. Gox has brought joy to people all across the globe and reminded us not to take life too seriously. He shed light into dark moments of pandemic, inflation, and many kinds of trouble. Mr. Gox showed no signs of serious illness besides having some kidney issues as a cause of a professional mite treatment in his early days. While having normal amounts of food until Sunday, he then suddenly refused eating and fell asleep peacefully on Monday morning. For us humans behind Gox Capital, the situation is hard to grasp and questions about a possible continuance of the project are not relevant to us at the moment. For now, we will leave everything as is. Thank you and rest in peace. Max, a.k.a. Mr. Gox. You will be missed, and your memory will live forever on the blockchain. We're introducing Gox Coin. Gox, yeah, it's uh, they got Mr. Gox NFT. You know, there you get there. There's they're, there's ways. They're talking about that already. I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, I you, say what you want, but 
another data point here. Mr. Gox seemed like a perfectly happy and healthy hamster before working. Yeah. They gave that hamster a job and it killed him. A lot of animals are pretty good for work. You got your horses, your cows, your donkeys. Mm -hmm. Hamsters, not so much. Yeah. Well, it seemed like the hamster made them some money. So I, I don't think it'll be long before they suddenly come up with Mrs. Gox. Yeah, but the next one just immediately starts losing. Oh, jeez. Oh, God. Just inverse Gox. <laughs> That's the thing. Is It's like, this hamster's stupid. Yeah. Just do it on the opposite of whatever the hamster says. Anyway, Mr. Gox's final day of trading was on Sunday. And according to his Twitter account, he ended his trading career up by 98 euros and 20 cents and 19.72% up overall. Okay. I, I don't think he was ever trading large amounts. Okay, so they, other people made money off Mr. They Gox. They started at like a couple hundred euros. So it was it was always mostly just typical, for the fun of it. Typical America. Others making money off the back of Mr. Gox. Yeah, Mr. Gox. A German hamster, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. The, the owners are in Germany. Okay. Uh, if they had some of that American initiative, they would have they would have uh, gone all in on Mr. Gox. Yeah. And put, like, taking out a second mortgage on the house. Just really let it ride. But being Germans, they were like, no, it's just for fun. Just a little bit of money for Mr. Gox. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he ended up. Around 20% up overall, which is yeah, still not bad, but it, it seems like his really hot streak ended as soon as the media started running news stories about him. It's a, a yeah. sort of Schrodinger's hamster. Um, but anyway, rest in peace, Mr. Gox. The great thing about this hamster was that for crypto people, it brought attention to crypto and also showed that even a rodent could profit trading it. Well, for crypto haters, Mr. Gox was the ultimate demonstration of how stupid and arbitrary the crypto market is. Even a hamster's making money. So, yeah, he truly was a Rorschach test, though, uh, according to Vice, there were Mr. Gox NFTs in the works, which kind of taints his legacy a little bit and also now seems kind of exploitative in light of his demise. It's a fucking uh, hamster. <laughs> Come on. But, that uh, grumpy cat's still on all kinds of merchandise. Okay, fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, hamster NFTs, they seem like kind of a no-brainer in the age of monkeys and apes. and The Doge Dog has punks. to be dead by now, too, right? Uh, like, last I checked, he was getting up there. The The... The pictures, the original photos of Doge are from like 10 years ago, and he was a puppy at the time. Mm -hmm. He was like one. So, yeah, he would be he would be up there by now. Yeah. I think he's still alive. I feel like we would have all seen the news. Yeah, that's going to be like a Doge big news died. moment, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I remember like someone posted an update of him, and he, he looked different because puppies look different than full-grown dogs, and he was getting up in, up in those years, long in the tooth. I hope Doge is having a good life. I hope so. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so whatever. Hamster NFTs. Monkey NFTs. Well, now that also Whatever, Mr. Uh, Crazy Frog's coming back, yeah. they should do uh, bring back the hamster dance, and then that hamster should create, trade crypto. Yeah. It's a hamster. I got a big... Where you're at a board meeting. You're like, I got the next big thing. They're hamsters that dance, but also trade crypto. Yeah. And they DJ. Yeah. So... On the blockchain. And they're playing EDC next year. The playlist is on the blockchain. No one... you, It's verified on the blockchain. No mm -hmm. one can be like, didn't he play... Uh, some Swedish House Mafia last night? No. It no. says here on the blockchain that he did not play Swedish House Mafia last night. And that's why we have the blockchain. They choose the set list by whatever tunnel they come out of. <laughs> it's completely random. Yeah, it doesn't always work. Yeah. But uh, when it does, oh, it you've slaps. never been to a party like it. Slaps. But NFTs and crypto trading hamsters are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the dumb possibilities for the blockchain. And last week, a group of crypto investors tried to buy the United States Constitution. And they almost did, too. Our national treasure, the United States Constitution. Almost got sold to some crypto traders. Yeah. But luckily, they failed. 
but you wouldn't have known it based on early reports from seemingly reputable sources who said that they did, in fact, buy the U.S. Constitution, including even an employee of Sotheby's, the auction house that was selling it, and the official Twitter Spaces chat room where group members were celebrating their win. Now, it's unclear where the confusion around that came from, uh, but let's back up a bit and explain what Constitution Dow is, uh, starting with what Dow, D-A-O, even is. I don't even... We've said it before, and I have no idea if that's how they actually say the yeah, word. I don't, I don't care. It's D-A-O. That's how I'm saying it. Yeah. Dow. Here, here's Vice. DAO, D-A-O, stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, and it's a type of crypto community that's proliferated over the last few years. Really, a DAO is a bunch of people in a Discord server who have all acquired a particular cryptocurrency. This cryptocurrency is a special kind, though, because tokens signal membership in the DAO and equate to having a say in group decisions, such as in a vote. The more tokens you have, the more your vote is worth. Just like this country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one former academic in Wyoming who lost their job and now works for a DAO recently described it perfectly as a group text with a bank account. DAOs are supposed to be democratic, despite literally buying votes, so you can already see why the U.S. Constitution makes for a perfect ideological object to form a DAO around. Constitution DAO itself has alluded to buying the Constitution as being a way to also get people on board with so-called Web3 concepts such as DAOs. So a DAO is a kind of interesting use case for the blockchain. And in this case, joining Constitution DAO meant buying votes to decide what to do with the copy of the U.S. Constitution they bought, or rather wanted to buy. Do you give it to Nicolas Cage? Do you keep it for yourself? You check what's on the back. Yeah, flip it over. Yeah. Um, voting power was represented by a special token called uh, Dollar Sign People, uh, which rubbed a, a lot of people the wrong way, considering how at the time of the signing of the U.S. Constitution, actual people were bought and sold, even by most of the people who signed the Constitution. Ooh. So, whoops. Doesn't sound like the people running Constitution Dow really put too much thought into it. Um, also, buying people tokens doesn't mean you actually own the Constitution. Rather, you would simply own membership in the DAO that owns the Constitution. And the ability to vote on stuff like where it should be displayed, how it should be exhibited, and the mission and values of Constitution DAO. What could go wrong? Yeah, I own the U.S. Constitution. Well, no, you own a receipt that says you're a member of the group that owns the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool, huh? Anyway, so yeah, it should be clear that this whole thing was more along the lines of stuff like the GameStop stock craze than a serious thing. Although, if victorious, the, the Dow would own a copy of the Constitution, but it's more about the symbolism of it all than anything else. To send a message. Yeah, it's <laughs> the idea that a bunch of random strangers on the internet could pull their money together and outbid some rich assholes for the founding document of this country. Instead Although of many of the people who invested in Constitution Dow would probably themselves be considered by me to be rich assholes as well. But uh, uh, anyway, un unfortunately, the rich assholes, they won the auction. And the identity of the specific rich asshole who won is very, very ironic. It's so ironic it hurts. It's a guy named Kenneth Griffin, who's the CEO of the hedge fund Citadel, who earlier this year bailed out GameStop's uh, short sellers and is also the person who some believe was responsible for getting Robinhood to stop allowing GameStop trading temporarily. So that's got to hurt. That man owns the Constitution. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Whoa. Man, you know, outside of all of this, the conversations at the dinner table at Thanksgiving this year are going to be so chaotic. Like, oh, just, my God. Just put even politics, even if politics doesn't come up, so many fucking boomers asking their... Uh, like Generation Z or Millennials, like what's Shiba Inu coin? 
What's a token? Your mom bought some Shiba Inu coin, and I have no idea how to sell what it. What are gas fees? Why? Where did all my money go when you I know, sold my You know, the gas fees Ethereum? are high because of Joe Biden. Joe Biden, he's raising those gas fees, both physical and Ethereum-based. So you're rich, right? You got, like, the Doge real early. Like, you were telling me how you bought Doge. Well, Dad, I bought, like, $13 worth. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm up 30 bucks, but I don't want to sell it. You never know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, as for how this Constitution DAO group... Uh, specifically formed to purchase the U.S. Constitution, was unable to do so. It's actually pretty simple. They crowdfunded $47 million, which is way more than what the Constitution was valued at before the auction. But this was public information. So all Kenneth Griffin, a billionaire, had to do was bid more than what Constitution Dow was able to spend. Again, it doesn't seem like they really thought much of this through. (laughs) Also, it's unclear if they factored in the requirement for a reserve fund to prove you can properly maintain and care for a 232-year-old document. Yeah, that was a big thing. In order to buy it, you had to prove you had to have like a separate, like basically like a trust set up yeah. with like ten million dollars in it. Yeah, to protect to it. guarantee that you could take care of the Constitution. Because it they're not just going to give. They're not just going to fucking give this thing to anyone yeah. who can afford it. And yes, it does belong in a museum. Yeah. No, below belongs rolled up. It's not the only Constitution. They keep calling it the Constitution. I think there's like a dozen yeah. left over. So. It's not quite an NFT. It is fungible. Yeah. It's a, a fungible constitution. But it is rare and tangible. Yes. Yes. Pro-tangible token. It belongs in a museum. Though. It certainly does. Maybe if there's so many of them, give one to each state. <laughs> Let everyone go see the constitution. So anyway, what now? What does an organization formed specifically to purchase the constitution do after failing to purchase the constitution? We have to steal the constitution. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a couple movies about exactly what happens next. <laughs> no, uh, they all... And I would support them doing it from Kenneth Griffin, too, of all people. Yeah, at that point, yes. That, that man, constitution belongs to everyone. I'm not sure Constitution Dow should have the constitution, but that man should not have the constitution. I agree. Anyway, they so they offered full refunds to all their investors, which is nice, but that's minus those pesky Ethereum gas fees, which are <laughs> very high right now. So if you only threw in like $100, you might be getting literally nothing back. You actually owe us money. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. There were so many good posts uh, this past week of like complete noobs to crypto trading, like trying to pull their money out of Coinbase and just ending up with literally nothing. Yeah. Because they didn't understand how gas fees work. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, the gas fees very high right now. Uh, They also briefly teased the possibility of exchanging people tokens for a new token called We the People that was going to have some... (laughs) unclear purpose. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't sound like that's happening because uh, Constitution Dow itself is fucking dead. Here's Vice again. Constitution Dow, the failed attempt to buy a copy of the U.S. Constitution at auction after raising more than $40 million in crypto from thousands of strangers, is shutting down after a week of protracted catastrophe. The announcement was made in the group's Discord channel on Tuesday, a day after refunds were made available for everyone who contributed to the project. The project's website was updated with the same announcement. This project has been such an incredible experience, and we are so honored and appreciative to have been on this journey with you, said the Post. We know that everyone is eager to hear what the next steps for Constitution Dow are, and we've been deeply exploring several options for this over the last four days. While we would very much like to have been able to do so, we have determined that building and maintaining an ongoing project is not something that we as a core team are able to support, given the technical and administrative requirements of doing it properly. Constitution Dow has been defined by chaos ever since it was outbid by a hedge fund CEO last week. In the aftermath, 
Nobody knew if they won or not, and after that, nobody could decide on what to do next. Plans changed. There was rampant infighting over things like the speculative value of the DAO's governance token named People, and there was much anger over high network fees that were completely wiping out some people's <laughs> refunds or otherwise taking a huge chunk out. The DAO never even lived up to its namesake, a decentralized autonomous organization, because not even a single vote was ever carried out using its token. It was just a big waste of time. Yeah. And this might actually be a preferable scenario because at least some people got some money back because if they had actually purchased it, it doesn't seem like they were capable or willing to do anything with it at all. Yeah. I mean, all you would have been really voting... like Again, this document has like some very strict controls on what you can even do with it. It's like... All you can really do is choose who you're donating it or renting it out to, like which museum mm-hmm. gets to keep it. No, so, you, uh, you. everyone votes to put it in one of those Japanese claw machines that the internet can control. <laughs> and then everyone who has a voting right in it gets to control it. We're going to shred it and turn it into an <laughs> NFT. Yeah. Like we did with uh, that Banksy. Mm-hmm. God damn it. There you go. Anyway, if all this constant crypto news makes you wish that all these Bitcoin bros would just go away, good news, maybe. Because maybe they'll all be moving to El Salvador and living next to an active volcano that could just go off at any time. Yeah. Trapping them in magma, like Mount Vesuvius. Yes, that's why you have to offer it graphics cards every six months. <laughs> it's the only way to calm it down. Yeah. <laughs> I require something. I am satiated. <laughs> so El Salvador's Bitcoin bro president, Naib Bukele, announced over the weekend that he's building a Bitcoin city, which will be powered entirely by geothermal energy from a volcano and operate as essentially a tax shelter where the only taxation is through value-added taxes on goods and services. Uh, There will also be a big central plaza in the shape of the Bitcoin logo. Sure, why not? Cool. This comes just a few months after El Salvador officially recognized Bitcoin as a national currency. Bukele's big presentation announcing Bitcoin City included visuals like fireworks, synchronized lights, and a CGI presentation on a huge screen featuring a UFO and Bukele as a metaverse character while ACDC's You Shook Me All Night Long played. Bukele told the crowd, invest here and make all the money you want. It felt sort of like BitConnect if the guy shouting BitConnect was the president of a country. Anyway, even by El Presidente's estimates, this will cost $17 billion just to build infrastructure, so don't expect Bitcoin City to happen soon, if ever. But given the amount of uh, crypto true believers out there, and given the amount of attention crypto has gotten from the tax man lately, anything is possible. But I, I think one of the funniest things about all the blockchain stuff that's developed, and specifically why certain countries embrace it, or why even companies look at it and say, that's legit, is that you have like this you know, future techno, cryptocurrency, whatever. And it draws a lot of people who are very talented in creating assets, (laughs) digital uh, 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 designs, visualizations, 3D renders, and stuff like that. So when you see like your typical American city and them, you know, with their budget, they're like, we have, you know, a billion dollars or a hundred million dollars to spend this year. And then like, you see like uh, Adobe slideshows and it's clip art, yeah. and it looks terrible, and that is like 90% of government. That's and true. then you have these bros come in, and they're like, boom, and it's like a spinning Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like, oh, that's, that's, that's like, fucking awesome. Yeah, and, and, or it's, Whoa. Like, it's a 3D model of the president just, just hemorrhaging money. It's a whole city. This city's like Coachella every day. They, but like, yeah, and it's like, oh, I've seen plans that uh, designers give me for new buildings. They're just, it's, it's on paper, and it looks silly. These guys have created 3D models, and I can see how it works, and... 
And I, it, that's the thing is it's like all of the presentations that come along with the blockchain stuff, aside from the NFTs that look like trash. But a lot of it is like, yeah, it's really easy for a lot of talented people who are really into the space to make things that look way more presentable and passable than a typical actual government project or something. Yeah. And also this just reeks of like every every couple of years there's some utopian plan for a, yeah. a new city. My favorite is still uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman's plan for a city in Saudi Arabia called The Line, which would be like a quarter mile wide. And run the length from like from one side of the country to the other. Just a a thin line with a single uh, high speed rail track in the middle, where uh, anywhere on the line you can get anywhere you need to go in less than five minutes. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the Arabian desert. There you go. It's uh, it would cost like trillions of dollars and will almost certainly never happen. But uh, it's fun to think about. Weren't they building an underground city when we were in Abu Dhabi or saying that? They yeah, were that one, there? that one failed. They always do. Yeah. Like they run into huge problems. That was like Mazdar City, I think. Hmm. And uh, I mean, like Toyota was working on something in Japan that actually like probably has the highest chance of succeeding because it's fucking Toyota and it would be a part of their actual like operation. But uh, yeah, you hear about Oops, one of these chip fucking shortage. things. Yeah, you hear about one of these fucking things like every couple of years, and yeah. every time people are like, oh my god, can you believe? They're making a Bitcoin city. It'll be done any day now. Anyway, it's important to also note that President Nayib Bukele is kind of a piece of shit. Uh, he has literally described himself as the world's coolest dictator. And there's been loads of public backlash from Salvadorans who think that this is all really fucking stupid. Please don't and, come here. <laughs> uh, they hate the idea of Bitcoin. Half these people uh, like barely have access to credit card readers, much less Bitcoin. So they're like, how does this fucking help me at all? Anyway, here's Gizmodo. It's hard to imagine that the citizens of El Salvador, one of the poorest countries in Latin America, will be as excited for Bitcoin City as Bukele or his Bitcoin posse. The digital currency's rollout was accompanied by glitches, which fueled protests against the government, and polls have found that citizens are wary of their president's passion for Bitcoin. At the end of the day, the people of El Salvador would certainly see more benefits if their president focused more on changing and improving their lives instead of fixating on an extremely volatile digital currency. The odds don't look good, though. Yeah. So we'll see how it works out, I guess. Yeah. uh, It would be cool. Uh, Apparently, a lot of these crypto people are moving to... uh, uh, What's that little island that we own? uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yo, Puerto Rico. That little island that we own. Uh, I thought you were going to say Guam. Oh, no, that's the other. We own a lot of little islands. We've got quite a little empire here, but don't call it that. Uh, yeah, Puerto Rico, they has no capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, like, uh, that that lady that testified against Facebook mm-hmm. uh, in front of Congress and in front of Parliament, uh, she lives permanently in Puerto Rico because they, they're not taxing her uh, crypto gains. Cool. And uh, a lot of people moving to San Juan, and, of course, the people of Puerto Rico, not happy about it because they're gentrifying the shit out of that country and uh, making it, even harder for the poor people there to live. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but speaking of government <laughs> spending money on things that matter, uh, NASA just launched a spacecraft to test out something that could someday save the planet Earth and all life on it from certain destruction. Just 23 years after the release of the movie Armageddon, it might actually be possible to intercept an asteroid heading straight towards Earth. Unlike in Armageddon, though, this doesn't involve sending a bunch of oil drillers into space to plant a nuke inside the asteroid. It's, it's a lot simpler than that. You just crash an unmanned spacecraft into it, 
at just the right angle, and you change the asteroid's trajectory. Yeah, you do some kamikaze shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, it's a lot more complicated than just crashing a spacecraft into an asteroid. For one thing, it's a it, the target uh, asteroid named Dimorphos is traveling at fifteen thousand miles per hour, and the uh, double asteroid redirection test spa- spacecraft, aka the Dart, will have to travel all the way around the sun to reach it. And when it reaches it, it'll be six point eight million miles from Earth. Mm. Uh, luckily, Dimorphos isn't actually a threat yet, and this is all just a test, just a proof of concept. Uh, but it's also a $324 million test that's trying to do something that's never been done before. And what it's doing is extremely complicated and will involve a completely automated process. Uh, this is wild, but here's the New York Times. Ten days before impact, DART will deploy a small satellite built by the Italian space agency called Lysia Cube, which carries two cameras. This traveling companion will witness DART's self-destructive mission from 34 miles away and measure the amount of debris kicked up from the impact. The DART spacecraft's onboard camera, called Draco, will snap photos of the asteroid as it approaches, streaming them back to Earth up until 20 seconds before impact. To test whether DART has succeeded, scientists at NASA and the Applied Physics Laboratory will measure how much dimorphous orbit around Didymos changes after the spacecraft's impact. Two ground-based telescopes, the asteroids are tiny dots of light. After impact, the scientists will track the duration of Dimorphos' orbit by measuring the time between flickers of reflected light that signal that Dimorphos has crossed in front of Didymos, then passed behind it half an orbit later. If the asteroid's orbit is sped up by at least 73 seconds, shortening the time it takes to revolve around Didymos, the mission was a success, Dr. Rifkin said, but he expects a more significant change to the asteroid's orbit. It's a Didymos is a bigger asteroid. Dimorphos is going around that bigger asteroid, and, and the... The dart is like the size of a mini fridge, apparently. So this is That's a very, all it takes? It's a small-scale test. Well, they're just trying to change the orbit of one asteroid around another. For an actual big asteroid heading towards Earth, they would need a bigger payload. It would need to be much bigger uh, of an operation. But with this, they're at least testing the principle yeah. so that later they can uh, maybe try it against something a little bigger. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we won't actually even find out whether DART accomplished its mission until September or October of next year. And luckily, even if it fucks up real bad and completely misses its target, it will have enough fuel left for NASA to completely reprogram it remotely and send it after another asteroid. Cool. Try again. (laughs) Hopefully it is a success, and also hopefully it doesn't inadvertently put Dimorphos on an actual path towards Earth. Oops. Though that would be a very funny and ironic apocalypse scenario. I love it. It'd be the funniest way, like, wow, it sucks that this is how it ends, but isn't it hilarious that this was caused needlessly yeah. by an attempt to stop the very thing that's about to happen? I love irony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, there's more news coming up, but first, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That is why it's America's number one meal kit. The holidays can be hectic, but HelloFresh helps keep things simple with recipes and ingredients that cut out grocery shopping and limit meal prep time so you can spend more of the festive season with friends and family. And as fall transitions into winter, there's nothing better than cozying up with a comforting home-cooked meal. Recipes like chicken ramen and shoyu-style broth and turkey ragu gnocchi make it a no-brainer to skip on paying for takeout. 
Two quick and delicious recipes coming up next week that we're really looking forward to are the sweet chili pork and cabbage stir-fry and the epic nacho mac and cheese, both of which are cooked and ready to eat in around 20 minutes. Start having fun in the kitchen like we are by going to hellofresh.com newsday14 and using the code newsday14 for up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that is up to 14 free meals and three free gifts by going to hellofresh.com newsday14 and using code newsday14. And speaking of food, this episode is sponsored by Omaha Steaks. Mm. We've both been getting shipments of Omaha Steaks for years now, and it's such a great feeling because not only do you get a bunch of delicious meats to cook, their sides and desserts are incredible. Those not, not, enough, not enough people know about these sides and desserts. Mm -hmm. The holidays are obviously right around the corner, and finding the perfect gift is tricky, but Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter Newsday into the search bar to order the perfect gift package. For $99.99, you'll get 24 entrees, like the world-famous bacon-wrapped filet mignons, chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and so much more. When you use code NEWSDAY, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha, Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. And we've all heard the news about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com, and you'll get eight free burgers when you enter the code NEWSDAY. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. OmahaSteaks.com, keyword, Newsday. I've been eating some Omaha Steaks lately. They sent me some, and I was like, great, because it's always, uh, oh, I don't have anything. I haven't gone grocery shopping. Wait, I have plenty of meats in the freezer. Meats, scalloped potatoes, mm -hmm. tartlets. The tartlets. Anyway, back to the news now. And as we've mentioned when talking about Activision Blizzard, a frat house atmosphere of rampant sexual harassment and gender discrimination is not an outlier at tech companies. And now a Tesla employee has sued her employer for claims that are very similar to what we've heard out of Activision Blizzard. Uh, here's Ars Technica. Tesla Motors was sued yesterday by an employee who alleges that she and other women working in the carmaker's Fremont factory have been subjected to nightmarish conditions of rampant sexual harassment. Jessica Barraza's lawsuit against Tesla says that she works nights and that as she walks to and from her workstation at the beginning and end of shifts or breaks, men make comments like, she's got fat titties, she's got cakes, that bitch hella thick, go ahead sexy. Damn, girl, she has a fat ass. Oh, she looks like a Coke bottle. And girl has an onion booty. Barraza began working on the Tesla factory floor as a production associate in October 2018 and had hopes of spending her career at Tesla and rising through the ranks. But she is now on medical leave after suffering panic attacks triggered by the harassment, the lawsuit says. Multiple times a week, male coworkers brush up against Miss Barraza's backside, including with their groins, or unnecessarily touch her under the pretext of working together in close quarters, the lawsuit alleges. Barraza says that managers and human resources personnel both failed to protect her even though she complained repeatedly. And that last part is the important part. Yes. Uh, the lawsuit alleges sexual harassment in violation of the California Fair Employment and Housing Act, failure to prevent sexual harassment, and retaliation. Because Barraza says that after she complained to HR, she was, quote, denied certain privileges and benefits that were afforded to women who did not object to supervisors' sexual advances and flirtations. And uh, look, yeah, it might be easy to just say this is this lady's piggybacking off the Activision stuff. She's just out for a payday. But in her lawsuit, she says that she has witnesses willing to testify, confirming her claims. And also, just last month, a black Tesla employee won $137 million in a lawsuit claiming that Tesla didn't do anything about the rampant racism that he endured on the job from other employees. So... Maybe a pattern here. Yeah. And also, in the Washington Post coverage of this news, they spoke to multiple other employees who corroborated Barraza's claims. Here you go. 
Elisa Blickman, 33, said the same patterns play out at Tesla's nearby seat factory where she works, also in Fremont. She described witnessing male workers using the number system to rank the attractiveness of female colleagues, she said. I don't know if it's the 12-hour shifts that get to these guys or what it is. They just act like they've never seen girls in there or something, said Blickman, a production associate. You really feel like a piece of meat in there. Blickman filed an HR complaint, viewed by the Post. She is on COVID-related leave, she said, but remains employed by Tesla. Naleli Gamboa, a former Tesla production associate, said she alerted senior managers to harassment at the factory and quit after the behavior didn't stop. Quote, being a woman working at Tesla was very uncomfortable when it came to male associates, supervisors, leads, she said. I've seen with my own eyes and I went through it myself. James Ramirez, who worked with Barraza until he left Tesla in April 2020, said he witnessed catcalling, physical harassment, and management inaction during his time with the company. He said he heard inappropriate comments directed at Barraza, stuff that shouldn't be said in the work environment. During the graveyard shift they worked, men routinely ogled women on the factory floor, he said. When a girl would walk across the platform, all the guys would be like, hey, bitch, hey, just catcalling. Very inappropriate behavior, he recalled. And that second woman who was quoted in there also says that when she complained about an incident, she was simply reassigned to another part of the factory, which she says is a common pattern for how the company deals with sexual harassment complaints. So, yeah, sounds like this case might have some legs to it. And good. Mm-hmm. HR is not your friend. They work for the company's interests, and cases like this and the Activision lawsuit are doing a great job exposing that. Yeah. It's a, a tough lesson that everyone needs to learn at some point, and uh, it's nice to have it exposed in lawsuits like this. Yeah. Uh, but another news, if, you're, uh, if you've ever tried streaming gameplay to Twitch or YouTube, you're probably aware that the two biggest apps of choice for broadcasting your screen and face and voice onto the internet, they're uh, Open Broadcast Software, a.k.a. OBS, and Streamlabs OBS, a.k.a. Slops. Slops. Both are free to use, but OBS came first and remains an open source project, while Streamlabs OBS is a slightly more slick version of the same thing, and it's owned by Logitech. Until recently, a lot of people just assumed that Streamlabs had some sort of licensing agreement with the OBS project, or funded them, or did anything to contribute financially. Something. Uh, Because, yeah, otherwise it would be pretty fucking egregious for them to basically just copy someone else's work with just a few slight changes, and also steal the name OBS to add insult to injury. Yeah, that'd be messed up. As if it wasn't obvious just by the way... It's the exact same program. Yeah. Uh, but apparently that is exactly what happened. They just fucking took it and were like, well, it's open source. Yeah. Tough shit, loser. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, so last week, Lightstream, which is another streaming app, they tweeted side-by-side screenshots showing that Streamlabs' website looks suspiciously similar to their own, with Lightstream CEO tweeting, The team at Streamlabs should be ashamed. Not satisfied enough to ride OBS Project's hard work, now to copy ours down to the layout and every word on our marketing site and our UX in this product. Now, the official OBS project account then, quote, retweeted that post, adding, Near the launch of Slobs, Streamlabs reached out to us about using the OBS name. We kindly asked them not to. They did so anyway and followed up by filing a trademark. No. We've tried to sort this out in private, and they have been uncooperative at every turn. We're often faced with confused users and even companies who do not understand the difference between the two apps. Support volunteers are sometimes met with angry users demanding refunds. We've had interactions with several companies who did not realize our apps were separate. Legally, they have obeyed the terms of the GPL, but they have repeatedly disregarded the spirit of open source and of giving back. It's fucked. Anyways, a lot of people were understandably surprised to learn that Streamlabs OBS basically ripped off OBS and refused to even change the name to be less confusing, including several influencers who threatened to sever ties with Streamlabs. 
And that uh, that seemed to do the trick. Yeah. Uh, within a day, Streamlabs announced that they'd be removing OBS from their app's name and switching to just Streamlabs. That was easy. Good. Also, maybe make a donation to the people that yeah. developed OBS. Yeah. It's uh, it, like OBS. I mean, it, Streamlabs OBS has been around for like five years or something. And it's like it's been a while. Yeah. And they're like, please, please. Can you just call it literally anything else? OBS is very confusing. We're a small team of volunteers over here. And uh, it would help us out a lot if you just gave your project its own name. Hello? Hello, are you listening? Well, like, also, shut it's up. like it comes down to uh, like notoriety with everyone being like, oh, I use OBS or whatever. And then Googling that. And I, mm-hmm. I would bet dollars to donuts that Streamlabs and Logitech probably spent a decent amount of money getting their version pretty high up on the search results well, when yeah. you search just OBS. Yeah. I don't think OBS is advertising. It's just the thing you look up. Like, their website looks fucking shitty. <laughs> it doesn't need to be yeah, anything it before it's, download link. It's just a fucking program that yeah. does what it says it does. They're, it works great. They're pretty good at keeping it updated, and, uh, yeah, I, it's awesome. It's all volunteers, but, uh, yeah, uh, I just I just love that this has apparently been, like, an ongoing issue between the two groups for five years, and all it took was, like, fucking Pokimane and Hassan being, like, Hey, I'm gonna stop using Streamlabs for my donations. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on, Please. just a second. What, what can we do about this? Literally anything. Yeah, you're fucking Logitech. Ugh. God damn. Anyway, moving on now to some Apple news. This is kind of huge considering how weird they've been since forever about people repairing their own devices. But it looks like the Biden administration's supportive stance on right to repair has made Apple get ahead of themselves and just announce that not only are they now totally cool with right to repair, they will even sell you the parts directly. Hey! Uh, here's Engadget. Apple just became much friendlier to do-it-yourself repairs. The company is launching a self-service repair program that will let you repair products yourself using official Apple parts and tools. The option will be available in the U.S. in early 2022, later that year for other countries, and will initially give the resources to fix an iPhone 12 or iPhone 13 with M1-based Macs eligible soon afterward. The first phase of self-service repair will focus on core components like the battery, camera, and display, with other parts eligible later. Apple will ask customers to review a repair manual and then order relevant parts through a self-service repair online store. The company didn't say how much parts would cost, but did offer credit to customers who returned used parts for recycling. Not surprisingly, Apple stressed that the program was meant for people with experience repairing electronics. The vast majority of people were still better off getting service from professionals, whether at Apple stores or authorized providers. Yeah, no shit. Now, there's, of course, been a whole cottage industry devoted to unauthorized repairs and teardowns of Apple products, with iFixit being probably the biggest one. So you would think iFixit might be having mixed feelings about this news, but based on their statement, they sound pretty supportive. Making service manuals available to consumers is exactly the right thing for Apple to be doing. No one should be in the dark on how to swap a battery or fix a cracked screen. Access to service information for products is a fundamental human right. We are proud of Apple for making this change. Apple leads the electronics industry. They pioneered glued-in batteries and proprietary screws, and now they are taking the first steps on a path back to long-lasting, repairable products. iFixit believes that a sustainable, repairable world of technology is possible and hope that Apple follows up on this commitment to improve their repairability. Now, Apple should just switch to USB-C like they already do with their MacBooks. Someone... uh, It's another country, or like Europe is making them do it. Yeah, but someone already actually, like, Man, they modded an iPhone 13 to yeah, have... Yeah, sold for like an outrageous it, it amount of money, It sold for like right? $80,000. Yeah. I don't know. But, well, uh, this is actually probably great for iFixit too because this... Uh, I don't know if Apple had any, but there's a lot of products that like... 
if you repair it on your own, they can like disable certain things or uh, void certain warranties and well, stuff. I, I, and I, I would have to guess that even doing it with Apple's tools and stuff would probably void your warranty yeah. in some way. But like, whatever. Most people are cool with that. Yeah. And I fix it. They're going to have a problem. Everyone pays for convenience, not because they can actually do something themselves. Yeah. You know how many people are out there changing their oil? <laughs> I, I'm, you, a lot do, but... You, you barely can these days with cars. Now with cars to change the oil, you have to take like an entire like plastic aerodynamic sheet off the bottom that has like fucking 20 screws in it. You got to remove... Like they hide the oil in there. But what I'm saying it's, is like uh, you could do it. You could. You could. Or you could go down and pay $40 in yeah. Valvoline or whatever. Which at this point, like if we're talking like a car from 30 years ago, it's like, yeah, you just boop, drain it, fill it. But yeah, now it's like obnoxious. Yeah. Sorry, car rants. But in other Apple news, uh, they're officially suing NSO Group, the Israeli company responsible for Pegasus, a spyware that's supposed to be used only in law enforcement, but of course has found uh, it's been abused by repressive, repressive regimes, uh, use it to spy on journalists, activists, and opposing political parties. And we had covered Pegasus a while back, but basically it was able to infect phones by simply sending a text with no need for the victim to click any malicious links or even open the message. Yeah, it's real scary stuff, and uh, uh, they're like, well, uh, we would never sell this to anyone, but, you know, official government agencies who who pinky promised they signed a paper saying they're only going to use it to track down the bad guys. It's like, of course that didn't fucking happen. Yeah. Anyway, here's Vice. The company accused NSO of four counts, breaking the anti-hacking law, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, or CFAA, California's Business and Professions Code, of breaching the contract it accepted by using Apple software and hardware, given that NSO, quote, created more than 100 Apple IDs to carry out their attacks and also agreed to Apple's iCloud terms and conditions, and of unjust enrichment by profiting from the personal data they wrongfully obtained from Apple's users' devices through the improper use of Apple's servers, which is the central component of their lucrative Pegasus spyware sold to customers and deployed against journalists, activists, and dissidents around the globe. Cool. Apple also sent notifications to the phones of people that they identified as victims of Pegasus. That must have been a hard one to get. Oh, no. What? (laughs) Uh, I would have preferred an Amber Alert. (laughs) That includes six activists and researchers in Thailand, 12 employees of a news website in El Salvador, along with uh, two opposition politicians there, as well as an opposition uh, politician in Uganda. The alert reads, Apple believes you are being targeted by state-sponsored attackers who are trying to remotely compromise the iPhone associated with your Apple ID. These attackers are likely targeting you individually because of who you are or what you do. If your device is compromised by a state-sponsored attacker, they may be able to remotely access your sensitive data, communications, or even the camera and microphone. While it's possible this is a false alarm, please take this warning seriously. <laughs> okay, Tim, thanks. Imagine getting sent this, like, wrongly. Like, you just, <laughs> what like, do I do? Just like some, some normal dad. Just, oh, God! <laughs> he just throws, throws his iPhone in the, the lake. Yeah, fixed it. There we go. Yeah. Well, damn it! I'm going to swim to that bottom of the lake. Go get that otter box back. <laughs> Things got a lifetime warranty. Anyway, uh, now let's close out the show with some uh, Internet Today holiday shopping picks. Wheels and deals. These are the hottest products of the holiday season. Yeah. Are you in the market for a new gaming PC, but the ongoing shortage of graphics cards is making it impossible for you to upgrade to a new machine? Well, things have gotten so dire for not just customers, but also the gaming PC makers that the company NZXT has introduced a new $800 gaming PC that solves this problem by simply not having a GPU. Instead, the graphics are handled entirely by the Ryzen 5600G CPU, which technically does have a 
built-in GPU, I guess. Yeah. This is obviously not ideal at all, and even the most low-end gaming PCs with graphics cards like the GTX 1650 can very much outperform this thing. But do you want a new gaming PC or not? It's either this, yeah. or you get in line, or you pay out the ass for a GPU on eBay. At least this thing looks the part. It's got the, the LEDs. It's yeah, got there the, you go. The case. It, yeah. looks, it looks great on your desk, mm -hmm. and it, it plays games okay. Uh, you can eventually upgrade it to have an actual dedicated GPU someday when if, yeah. if they ever become available to it's you. It's a placeholder. Yeah. You can play whatever games are optimized finally, and then, uh, you know, a lot of indie games. Yeah. Your girlfriend, your wife, she thinks... That's a nicer computer than it is. She doesn't. She doesn't know to look for the. the you want to see Elliot's computer? It's pretty impressive. It's got. It's got the LEDs and everything. It's got the glass on the side. You can see inside of it. Yeah. Oh, what are you playing? Binding of Isaac. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to load up Cyberpunk right yeah, now. Yeah. I'm but, playing. Uh, I got to play on lower settings. Binding of Isaac. It is heating up pretty bad in there. Stardew Valley really makes this thing crank. <laughs> <laughs> you can cook an egg on it. <laughs> also on our holiday shopping list, this long PC monitor. The days of the 16 by 9 aspect ratio, they're obviously over. Get out of here, boomer. Monitors are going wider and wider nowadays. But this bad boy here, it goes the opposite direction. <laughs> With a 420 by 1920 screen resolution and an aspect ratio that comes out to 7 by 32. That's more than four times taller than it is wide, which might seem useless, but imagine all the Twitter doom scrolling you can do with this thing. It's great. The TikToks are in full you screen. You read full threads. Yeah. And it would also work okay as a dedicated screen for monitoring Twitch chats. And that's pretty much all we can think of. Um, yeah. Maybe on Halo, because there's, a, you know, the, the flying stuff that you can use in it. I can't remember the name of it. Ghost? Not a ghost. Anyways, you need to look up sometimes, and you don't really want to move up. <laughs> 360 degrees of vertical-only uh, view. Yeah. yeah. Very useful. Very niche. But uh, also, it's only sold in Japan right now. So if you really need this... It's going to cost you $130 plus whatever the exorbitant fees it costs to ship it across the Pacific. And it won't be here by Christmas. It's just me sitting out there yeah. on the coast of Long Beach. I can see it. Yeah. It's right there. But it, it might just be worth it. If, if not for... A, you get the, the, the uh, NZXT yeah. and you get this monitor, <laughs> you're going to have people talking. It's a conversation starter. Like, yeah. what the fuck is that? <laughs> you want to see TikTok on this thing? Is that an entire, like, 20 tweet thread all on screen at once that would actually melt the gpu though because it's like way more than it like it should normally be showing yeah i think it i think it comes out to being like the same number of pics well yeah it's maybe a, you have to get this for that computer because there's no slot in the graphics card for a second monitor yeah <laughs> and i guess technically like any monitor you could you could flip it wide sure why not and uh use it as like a stock ticker or some shit. I don't know. There's a million and one uses. Yeah, you'll find a way. This is a product that no one asked for, but by God. Mm -hmm. uh, You're going to use it. Yeah. This is your, all screens will now be long. I haven't seen uh, any other like real good Black Friday deals. They're, everything's kind of priced the way it always is. Black Friday's on the way out and I fucking love it. Yeah, it's. Uh, and it's all month, it's all month long now. So there's no good deals. Yeah, it's and all thankfully, online. A lot of the big box stores are shutting down completely on Thanksgiving. Good. And not opening at midnight like yeah. they have been. Or... Ruining their employees' holidays. It's, yeah. uh, this is this is a normal thing in like every other country where it's just like, no, why would you want to shop on Christmas? That's insane. Mm -hmm. Anyway, finally in our holiday shopping list, the Grand Theft Auto Trilogy. No, not the shit show that we talked about last week. Not that Grand Theft Auto Trilogy. Those games are completely broken. 
and they are a total slap in the face of the GTA community. No, we are talking about the original versions of GTA 3, San Andreas, and Vice City, which Rockstar now plans to put back on the market as a form of atonement for how badly received the legacy editions have been. The or sorry, the definitive yeah, editions, yeah, yeah. which are which are not <laughs> these are definitive. definitive. Yeah, so there's no word on when that might happen, but as we talked about last week, the community developed mods for those original games being so good is one of the main reasons that people were so mad at Rockstar pulling those games from stores and replacing them with inferior products as just a quick cash grab. I mean, I personally wasn't even aware of how good those mods were until all this fuss. And maybe you weren't either, but now we'll soon have the opportunity to check them out. So thank you, Rockstar, for this uh, very roundabout way of getting me interested in playing these games that came out when I was still in high school. Just buy the fucking mods. That would be the smart thing to do. Yeah. It but, seems like uh, easy. It would be an easy thing to do. But there's no need because you can just buy, you'll soon be able to just buy the original versions as they were before. Great. And install all the mods like you could before. Great. Yeah. Great. It only took a month of just horrific press. Yeah. And disdain from your audience. People An have audience power. that's already pushed to the edge. Yeah. With uh, cheap cash grabs. Yep. Anyways, that's it for uh, this week's episode. Uh, or if you want to see uh, us bashing on video games, once again, uh, our video from the other day, Battlefield Sucks, is right there. Um, but uh, also, we have a recent episode of Weekly Weird News you should check out called Brown Friday. Yeah, it's a little different than Black Friday. You need to prep yourself because, you know, th- if you're probably watching this on Thanksgiving, so don't make any mistakes. Start taking fiber now. It takes a couple days for your body to uh, Yeah, a couple probiotics. To, yeah. Get them going. Yeah. Check both of those out right over here. Subscribe to the channel, leave a like and a comment, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.